If you are a guest with us, I want to point out that once every four weeks, the pastor of this church forgets to turn his microphone on. It's a consistent theme. So, we thank the band for leading us in worship this morning. Awesome. Also, uh, we, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Grace, uh, the first pastor who was here was named Brian McKenzie, and he and his family are with us in worship today. Uh, if you all don't know him, uh, he has been a good friend to me over the phone, though we've not even met in person yet. We're going to hug later. Uh, and uh, if you guys could just thank him for what he did for 13 years. Is that how long you guys were here to, to bring us to where we are? And... If your Bibles open those to Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I thought we should close out the year with some scolding from the Old Testament. Beginning in verse 1. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise up and plead your case before you the mountains and let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit. You mountains and enduring foundations of the earth because the Lord has a case against the people and He will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed? What Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? And what happened from the Acavia Grove to Gilgal? So that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteousness, His righteous acts. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I, should I come before Him with burnt offerings or with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, He has told each of you what is good. And what is it that the Lord, the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. It is December the 30th, and many of us are panicking as to try and figure out what we're going to resolve to correct about our lives next year. Every year, people are making resolutions. Uh, have you ever noticed that no one ever resolves to do anything super fun? Let me give you some examples. These are the most popular resolutions in the nation of Texas. 47% of resolutions, people resolve to exercise. 32% of people resolve to save money. 18% of people resolve to travel more. 16% of people resolve to make new friends. Other popular resolutions from the rest of the country. To get more sleep, to spend more time with family, to learn a new skill, to lose weight, to quit smoking. Have you noticed that it's never anything awesome? No one ever resolves to eat more cake or to go to the spa more or to read Us Weekly. No one ever resolves to watch everything that Netflix offers because that's what you would do for the rest of your lives. Here's the way that the numbers break down in regard to resolution. 75% of us are good for about a week. By July, that number dropped to below 46%. 
Last year, 28% of people claimed to have kept at least one resolution. On a related note, 28% of people are lying. 4% of people claim they have kept the entirety of their list. In one of the most well-known Old Testament passages, God confronts Israel with their past, their past transgressions. And Micah is answering the Israelite question, what do I do now that God has confronted my sin? What is this new thing that I can resolve to do? What can I do to course correct what has taken place that was wrong? How can I fix this in the upcoming year? And God's reply, I have told you what to do already. So do that. I have instructed you how to act. So act that way. Micah makes clear in abundance that the God of the Bible hates unkindness, idolatry. He hates injustice. He hates empty ritual. And he, he hates all of those things and fake religion in his people. And for those of us in this room trying to clarify as to what we would do going into 2019, I want you to know that God in us, he hates unkindness, idolatry, injustice, empty religion, and false faith. What decisions do we need to make to remove those things from our lives? Is there a quick fix? Is there a simple solution? The word resolve it is defined when you Google the word by one of those dictionary sites. To deal with successfully... To move from a disagreement about thoughts and actions to an agreement regarding them. And to make a serious decision to do something. Here's the story of Micah if you're unfamiliar with Old Testament prophets. Micah was a prophet in this area about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. He prophesied during the 8th century. His contemporaries were Isaiah and Hosea. And let's just be truthful. If we're ranking Old Testament prophets as to the difficulty of their life, Hosea is probably dead last... And then the rest of them are above him, but not by much. He was writing to God's people of Israel and Judah, the northern and the southern kingdoms, to warn them that judgment was coming and to offer them pardon, to, to offer pardon to everyone who repented. So you see this idea of judgment and pardon, or judgment and forgiveness. And as we look through the scriptures, we see these things working side by side, hand in hand throughout scripture. Here's what we find. There's a necessity for divine judgment. That sin has entered into the world and that God views it as condemned. And everyone who is tainted, twisted by sin is condemned. They are condemned already are the actual words of Jesus. And on the flip side of the coin, we see Yahweh's desire to bless his people. Do you see the balance in the God that we find in scripture here? God is declaring judgment on sin. Sin is in complete opposition to his character. Simultaneously, God desires to bless because blessing is at the heart of who God is. Now think with me, New Year's Eve church family. Do we see this embodied anywhere in the Bible? In a person in particular? In a place in particular. That is the story of the cross. That God would declare judgment on sin 
simultaneously blessing his people. God wants to bring his people to a place where we grasp the depths of the blessing that he has shown us in Jesus. And God wants to show us and take us to the same place. So, lots of people, when they've dealt with this passage, and actually the, the translator here of the Christian Standard Bible that I'm in this morning, uh, they use language that presents this almost as a courtroom scenario. You can actually see that there, the idea of a lawsuit against the people, the idea of God condemning the wrong within them. It's almost a courtroom scenario, and I use that word because of the way that God speaks to them. God gets to speak on his behalf, and he has a frustration with the people, but his heart is also warmed towards his people. He symbolically tells the people their case before creation as to why they have done the things that they've done. So when we look at this passage, yes, we can see courtroom, but more so, we almost see an intervention. Israel has walked into the living room. When they get into the living room, the God of the Bible has placed the intervention sign over the fireplace. He's called into account all of those who would testify and hear their case, the mountains, the trees. We see this language used by Micah, and we, we see it present itself in the fantasy novels of Tolkien. We see it in C.S. Lewis. The mountains, the, the, everything hears the case of the people. And God's questions for them are very thorough. And the things that he asks of them are very helpful to us as we seek to follow Jesus, not in 20, 2019, but for the rest of our lives. Again, to verse 1, we'll go with ESV this time, the elect standard version. Here is what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case. That's a preacher joke, and I apologize. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, the enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has indicted against his people, has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. And we see God point out to them over the next verses what seem to be tensions between him and them. And he keeps asking them this question. You see it in 6 verse 3, 6 verse 5, 6 verse 6, and 6 verse 8. He keeps asking for the meaning of their frustration with a word that we know, the word what. And as he asks this what, he's saying to them, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? What have I done to cause this frustration between you and me? Let me know. Testify against me. Let me know what I've done. And they remain silent. Because any time that we really begin to consider the frustration that we may have between us and the Lord, much of that, all of that rests on us. Because the Lord has been consistently faithful when we are consistently faithless. God, uh, the, our crime is the same crime as that of Israel. God walks through the, the things that he's done for the nation of Israel that seem to be so problematic. And all of these are pictures of God's faithfulness. Let, let's look at those, verses 3 through 5. My people, what have I done to you, or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I delivered you there. I saved you there. I not only brought you up out of the land of Egypt when Balak and, and Balaam did their thing, Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, I protected you and delivered you there. 
What happened from Shittim to Gilgal, I carried you there. And for those of us who were part of the faith family at Grace, we walked through Joshua together. God delivered them over and over, faithful to them there. When I led you across the Jordan, I took care of you there. And God continues to use these things to show that He is a God who saves. But He does want to hear from His people. It's a very unique thing about our God. Unlike gods of other religions. Because when we look through the Scriptures, we see consistently God asking His people, just ask me a question. Let me know. Let's talk this through. We see it here. We see it when God meets with Abraham. We see it when God meets with Moses to talk about the situation that they had with, with him and their frustration. God shows himself to be faithful over and over and over. And I would imagine this throughout this year, many of you, I've walked with you, I've spent time with you, you've dealt with difficulties and heart-wrenching situations, but God has been faithful in those. Our faith family, we've had people who have lost loved ones. We've had sudden sicknesses. We've had divorces. We, we, but God has been faithful to His people. He never ceases to be faithful to us. Because God has shown Himself as a faithful God consistently. God reminds the nation of Israel of His consistent faithfulness even though they were regularly faithless. Which lets us know that his faithfulness does not rest upon what we do. This is not an I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine situation. God is always moving us in the direction of seeing and knowing and hearing him and grasping just a little bit more of who he is and why he would choose to care for us in the way that he does. God is faithful. Now, what happens for many of us, though, is that we get where Israel is in that we would believe that God would that God needs us it's a prevailing theme that's an undertone it prevails we see it but it's an undertone in Christianity that God would definitely need us to do anything if I can be clear about anything to us as a people gathered this morning, I just want you to know God doesn't need you. We are unnecessary. Because God will be God whether we like it or not. He will be God forever and ever regardless of our response. That yet, God does not call you to faithfulness to Him because He needs you. He calls and allows faithfulness because He loves you. He cares for you deeply. God is faithful, and what the people offer to do is a cheap shortcut of superficial religion in return. God pleads his case, and in verses 6 through six and 7, here's what the nation of Israel says to God. We see what you're saying. So through Micah, God pleads their case for them, and he says, we see what you're saying, so here's what we'll do in return. And they begin to try to conjure up more religion. I think we land there. I think lots of us in this room, if we are not careful, know that in 2019 we would like to be more faithful to God than we were in 2018. So we begin to wrestle and consider the things that we should do. And what we begin to do, if we're not careful, is stack a stack of items whereas we would have concrete markers 
if they were to be evaluated by some religious leader, that person is faithful because they did this and this and this and this and this. Yet we miss the heart of God in that He wants to walk with us. We do the work, we just leave out the reason why we do the work. We assemble something that's going to fall apart. We know what that's like. Look, I'm in an engineering community here, and it's unfamiliar to me still the way that your minds work. You are so, so brilliant, most of you. And so maybe it's different here in Lake Jackson, in the shadow of Dow. Um, Maybe when you open your boxes on Christmas to assemble the things that Santa or mom and dad or whomever happened to bring by, maybe you don't have any screws left when you assemble that gadget. Maybe there's nothing left over for you to look at and say, you know what, I probably did not do something right. I remember three or four years ago, a friend of mine was trying to save money, and he dissembled his television. I'm not sure if that's a word, but just go with it. And when he took the television apart, he began to reassemble it. He and his friend, both of them, FedEx delivery men. So you just know what we're working with here. And as they were good friends, and as they were reassembling this television, I got there and they were bragging because they had fixed the bulb in the TV. So that's cool. I looked to my right, 48 small screws. I said, what are these for? Well, they're supposed to go back in the television, but we, we did not know where they went. Oh, that's great. This is going to explode. Cool. The idea of the reassembly. We, we try to uh, do shortcuts to things, and our shortcut is always religion. Our shortcut is always, if I do this, and 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 if I definitely do this, if I act in this way, God will be happy. There is one action that pleases God and brings to the forefront any pleasure He has in us from that point forward. And that is that Christ would be crucified on the cross in our place. And our ability to walk with God is not one out of this militant duty, but a joy that we've been offered in Jesus. Why make another list? That's what Israel does. It's almost silly the way they do this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? An aroma that will please the nostrils of the God of Israel, similar to the way that burnt offerings would please the nostrils of the various gods throughout the world. Or should I bow before God on high? The idea of a posture. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves a year old? Uh, That's the idea of of a young calf. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Please notice where we've moved here in their ability to please God with their superficial action. We have moved from a, an aroma to a young calf to thousands of rams. Then we get to ten thousands of rivers. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Church family, 
This is what we do, and this is exhausting. It is, it takes our breath away. We are functioning joylessly. God's not pleased with that, so let me give him this. And God's not happy with this, so let me make sure that I have this. You can have whatever you want. (laughs) The final one. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. The answer for Israel and the answer for us, if we're not careful, when God calls us out on our sin, when he intervenes with us, people that he loves. We see that because he uses the phrase, my people. Our answer is always trinkets. The escalation of this is pointing out the absurdity of what's taking place. He goes from a calf to a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers of oil. I don't even know what that looks like. And it's all ridiculous because everything they're offering is already God's. And hear me say this. Whatever you're trying to push in front of God to please Him, aside from Jesus, it's His anyway. It's the equivalent of, uh, hypothetically, let's imagine your children misbehave. That happened to your house? Maybe not. Not at 205. And they come to you because they know that there's tension between you and them. And in order to please you, they hand you the keys to your car. And they hand you your wallet full of cash because we're Dave Ramsey people. (laughs) And when they hand you these things, they say, go buy yourself something real nice. That's what Israel's just done. Would you be pleased by the stuff that is already yours? And it's missing God's intent regarding sacrifice. Sacrifice in the Old Testament is for the purpose of people remembering God's desire. This is the goal of it. God's desire to meet with his people. It's always about the meeting, never about the pile of stuff. God wants to meet with his people. And it is acknowledgement of us saying, Lord, everything that we have is yours, so I'm going to give you the first fruit. It's his promise to meet with us. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus. And then we see it in full when Jesus spreads his arms on a cross giving his life for us. Samuel said this, has the Lord, this is a question, has the Lord as the Samuel of the Bible, not the Samuel that you may know from work, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So God has just said to people who are functional sacrificers, 
who'd missed the heart of sacrifice, obeying and listening for my people, because this is addressed to his people, it's better than that. It's better than the fatted rams. N.T. Wright, Anglican theologian, says this, a religious event, we need to wear this. All of us need to wear this, like a shirt. A religious event that does not change the meaning of light and dark, food and drink, field and city, war and peace, birth and death, slavery and freedom, has too superficial a connection to us. One that, one that does can create culture. Not a new mind, but a new world. God's always concerned with the heart behind what we do and why we do it. Does the relationship that you have with God entail any expectations? Does God expect things of us? Well, yes. Yes. Verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness. And to walk humbly with the Lord your God. This verse is so important, but we miss its importance because the language is different for us. And because Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song that was so catchy in the late 90s. That it becomes a rhythm in our ear and not something that helps our hearts to beat right. The the term for mercy in Hebrew is kased. The meaning, God is unconditionally compassionate. The word for justice is mishpat in Hebrew. It is focused on action. So in Micah 6, 8, mishpat puts the emphasis on the action. Kesed puts it on the attitude. To walk with God, part of walking with God, is to do justice out of merciful love. So what God has said is that our attitude should lead to action. The posture of our heart because of Jesus as his people should lead to action. And these three things are intertwined, working together for us to function optimally as those who would be in right relationship with Jesus. Contrary to everything that Meatloaf taught us, two out of three is bad in this scenario. In order for God to shape our conduct, we need to see this root teaching of Scripture. That God is saying to us here, I've told you what to do, so do it. Again, these are things for His people to hear because if you're not His person, you can't hear Him. But if you belong to Jesus, I've told you what to do. I don't need your stuff. I need you. I need you. I need all of you. We are to actively do justice out of merciful, unconditional love as people who walk with the Lord. Because we have been invited to relationship with Yahweh through Jesus, who is the embodiment of merciful, gracious, unconditional love that acted on behalf of our justice. He's the why of all Christian thought. 
Hosea, his contemporary, said it this way. You must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and always put your hope in God. If you're a note taker, that's Hosea 12, verse 6. In Matthew and Mark, under what's called the great commandment, so no, it's more than good. Jesus says this uh, as he quotes from the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, two things. If you are in relationship with Jesus, and for whatever reason, that has been thrown out of rhythm because you think you need to do and do and do and do and do. There's a hymn that I quote regularly in here. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him and Him alone, gloriously complete. Number two, I would say to us, if we are in relationship with Jesus, rather than asking what we can do, we need to look around us and see who our lives are embodying Jesus in front of. Who are we mistreating? Where do you see a lack of good in your own life? Where do you see you missing to live before the world as if the joy of Jesus has been presented to you fully and wholly? We look and we see God speaking to his people here in Micah 6. And we hear God speaking to us. As he says, the call of, my call for you is to act justly, to love mercifully, and to walk humbly with me. That is provided in Jesus. And we are called to embody Jesus as we seek to confront lack of, the lack of justice and the, the lack of humility in the world by being people who follow Jesus faithfully.